Well, a couple of weeks ago, I began this consecutive expository series in the book of Ephesians, the epistle or the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus or to the churches at the church at Ephesus and other surrounding ones. It may have been a circular letter, as I told you previously. So far, Paul has gotten excited and he has gone off on a doxology of praise and it seems like it will never end. Uh, But we're going to see that it does uh, today. And God starts, uh, uh, Paul is so excited about what God has done and is doing and is going to do through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's telling the Ephesians about it. And he's praising God for it. And he's talking about all the blessings that God has bestowed on his people. And Paul starts out talking about God's sovereign choice of a people for himself. And last week we saw that God also redeemed that people. And today he is going to talk about another blessing. We find that in our scripture reading, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14 is our scripture text. And if you will, either read along with me on the screens or uh, in your Bible or on your device. This is the word of the Lord. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first who hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. May God add his blessing to it. Let's pray. Father, we do ask once again, Father, as the prayers have gone up, For without you, Lord, unless you speak, unless you open our eyes and our ears to see and hear the truth, Lord, we will miss it. We will not understand and we will not follow in your ways faithfully. So, Lord, again, give us the Holy Spirit's ministry among us today that he would come in a special way and illumine our understanding of your word. Show us what you would have us know. Lord, today we depend upon you. And we pray that you will receive the glory and the praise that you deserve. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. How many of you know what a run-on or sometimes called fused sentence is? How many of you know what it is? Eh, Probably most of you do. Yeah, a lot of hands going up. Well, Paul sure didn't. I can guarantee you that. (laughs) He knew nothing about good syntax as we define it today. Paul, at last, 
is about to put an end on his extended, and I mean extended, effusive doxology that began way back in verse 3. And now today ends finally in verse 14. 3 through 14 is one long, run-on, fused sentence. The grammarians will just have to deal with it, won't they? And you know what? I'm not so sure God really is that concerned about it. Matter of fact, I think he's actually excited about the way Paul forgot his grammar and got lost in the praise and glory of God and all the blessings that were his. Now, that doesn't apply for you and me. I'm still trying to learn grammar after whatever, 50 years of, <laughs> or more. I'm still trying to learn. Uh, so I'm not saying you, we all get a pass, but we certainly, we're going to give Paul one for sure. Um, now, here's today's outline. Pretty, pretty straightforward. It's all about assurance. What Paul is telling us today is because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what he does, it results in a blessed assurance. First of all, we're going to look at the past assurance, the present assurance, and the future assurance. Something God's done in the past, Paul tells us about. Then he's talking about what's actually coming together, where he is, and with two different groups. And then he's going to be talking about the future that has already happened and is going to be finally completed and it's all going to be to the praise and the glory of God. So let's look at that past assurance. And that's basically in verses 11 through 12. Once again, Paul is turning, returns to the saving purposes of God that secured a people for his own possession. In the Old Testament, God, when he chose his people, he referred to them as his possession. They were his chosen people. And Paul tells us that God's purpose in election has its roots in the Old Testament. This is not something that just came along in the time of the Ephesians. This goes way back into the Old Testament as God had called out a people unto himself and chosen them to be his own possession. But now... Paul is saying that's a great reality in the past. That was, this, these are the ones that stewarded the promises of God. But now those promises are beginning to break forth in heavenly light. Those promises are now going to be fulfilled in a way that no one back then could fully understand. And Paul is trying to explain that to his readers here in this epistle, and to you and me of what God has done. God had an ancient people, and Paul starts off identifying the, cho the chosen Jews to underscore the nature of God's past faithfulness. God made promises. God will keep those promises. In some ways, our Bible is, a, is about two things, promise and deliverance. Promise primarily in the old, deliverance in the new. And Paul is going to tell us about something amazing that results from that foundation 
from that past reality and past assurance, but now something is beginning that is new. Paul is about to tell his listeners then and now the true purpose. And it had a two-stage rocket, if you want to think of it that way. Not just what the church was in the Old Testament, but what it would be and how God would bring things together to accomplish the absolutely unthinkable. That doesn't seem, We read our Bibles now and it doesn't seem very strange or very unusual and unthinkable. But the idea that somehow people that were part of a very small group of all the people blessed and chosen, now that that was going to include people that were unthinkable, people called Gentiles. The ancient people of God, the Jews, were going to be joined together with the new kids on the block, the Gentiles. I want you to listen how Paul tells us this. Now, it was in the text that I read, but I want you to, I'm going to insert a couple of clarifying things so you can understand what Paul is saying. But this is a very important thing, and it's easily missed. I'm going to read the same passage in Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, but I'm going to read it with the insertion of things like we, you, us, pronouns, and I'm going to define who's the one Paul is talking about. And you can see how this comes together. Verse 11. In him we. There's your first one. In him we. Who is that? That's the Jews. That's Paul. And others that have come Jewish people. Most of Pentecost, as Rick said today, most of those folks were Jews that were coming to believe in Christ, the Messiah. So the we, Paul says, in him we Jews have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, there's the same pronoun again, we Jews, he's talking about again, still, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, now he says you. Not talking about the we anymore. He's changed to you. Who's that? That's the Gentiles. That's the Ephesians and all other Gentiles. Now, in him, but in, notice in both cases, it's in Christ. Both are in him. They have to be. In him, you Gentiles, also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our... Did you hear that? Our inheritance until we, Jews, and Gentiles acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So there was we, and then there was the Jews, and there was you, the Gentiles, and now there is only our Jew and Gentile. That's what God 
had purposed from the past, had stewarded, and now has brought forth in deliverance a new humanity made up of Jews and Gentiles. This is explosive. This is mind-blowing. This would have rocked the world everywhere Paul went and preached this. To get that, no longer are Jews and Gentiles on separate paths, but both find their true north in Jesus. That's, that They both find it in him and in him alone. Paul is celebrating the power of the gospel for them both together to make up the finished purpose of God. Paul talked about it, remember in Romans 1.16. What did he say? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It's not one path for this group and another path for that group. No, it's for everyone that believes in him. And then Paul said in Romans, what? To the Jew first and to the Greek, to the Gentile. The common denominator is what? In him. A common denominator is something shared in by all. But that is only in Christ. Now, let's look at the present assurance in verses 13a and b. Listen again to that part of the text. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth... The gospel of your salvation and believed in him. Now again, Paul starts off recounting God's purpose for the Jews, but now he's telling them, the believing Gentiles, that they too are included in Christ. That would have been unthinkable to them. That they could come to God on the same basis that the ancient Jews could come to God? Paul said, yes, it's in him. He's gone from we who to you too. We who want you too get to have it now, but where? Only in Jesus. Only if you believe the gospel. What is the gospel? It is the defining work that Jesus did in his life and death and resurrection that secures forgiveness with God and brings us into the family of God. You see, Paul, as I said, starts off with we who and then goes to you too. Paul is saying that all who are in Christ, whether they're Jew or Gentile, are now God's new possession. God's new inheritance and portion. God calls us his special people. He did that in the Old Testament. But now we're even more special because we're all in Christ. 
In the Old Testament, it was once only true of Israel, but now it is being reapplied to the international people whose common factor is they are all in Jesus. That's the only place they can be. There's no carve out. There's no plan B for God. He always intended to bring one great people unto himself that he has washed and made and saved by his own blood. You see, the same vocabulary is used about both peoples and it indicates the spiritual continuity and the link between Jew and Gentile. There was no link. But as we're going to see more in this text, or in next, actually in the next chapter, in chapter 2, Paul is going to double down on this. He's not through telling us the implications of this. Paul will have more to say about this amazing plan in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. He's going to tell us a whole lot. And you know what? I can't wait because that's going to, that, what God is, did here tells us all kind of things how to work through difficult relationships in our time as well. We see many things that we're going to see incredible application to things we face and that we struggle with and we're going to see how it is all brought together and what Paul did to break down barriers and to build bridges for the gospel. And that has implications for us as well. Note well, again, I, I can't say this enough, because again, you, no matter how many times you hear it over and over and over again, how many times I say it, I know there are still people probably sitting in this room today or hearing me on the live stream that still think there's another way. This is one way, but there's other ways. No, there is no other way. Whether you are Jew or Gentile, there is no other way. There is, that covers all the bases. All the people, all the races, everything is covered. That there is only life in Christ. There is only one way to be God's possession and be assured of his inheritance and that is to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you do not believe and trust in him, there is no other way to become God's inheritance, to become his possession that he will guard and keep forever. There's only one way, whether you are Jew or Gentile or any other self thing you want to call yourself or your tribe, there is no other way but Jesus. There is no other name, Acts 4.12 says, given among men by which we must be saved. If you hope to be saved, you must be saved through Jesus. And if you think you can find another path, another carve out, my friend, you are, are sincerely, maybe, maybe sincerely, but you are mis sincerely mistaken. And it is a dangerous road. You need to come to Jesus. And then Paul goes on to the future. The future assurance, that's in verse, the last part of verse 13. You can call it 13c and 14. Listen again to that portion. 
were sealed. These people that are now one in Christ, Jew and Gentile, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. Now, none of this could be accomplished without the amazing work of the Holy Spirit. We have the Father's work. We had the Son's work. Now the third person of the Trinity's work. And it is supernatural. And it brings about amazing results. It brings those None of us could be without this amazing work of the Holy Spirit. None of this could happen. The Spirit was sent to bring about union between God's ancient people, the Jews, and his new people, the Gentiles, and bring them all into one place and not only bring them together in union with one another and fellowship with one another, in harmony with one another, but to ultimately make sure they all get to their final destination, the inheritance that God promises. Since we belong to God, he seals us. Now, what does that mean? Uh, in the ancient world, uh, a seal usually was made by something uh, like a signet ring. Now, that's not a signet ring, but it was a ring and it had a flat face, and it had carving in it that basically probably was some kind of symbol of that, of that uh, uh, powerful person's either office or whatever. And when they, would, when they were authenticating something, they would press that seal with the ring into hot wax and then maybe send the parchment that would stay sealed and was supposed to be, uh, stay sealed until it reached its final destination in the hands of whoever the, uh, the uh, paper or the article or the contract was being sent. So here the spirit is being referred to as a seal. It's, it's a promise. It's a guarantee that what the giver of the seal said will indeed come true. That the promise made will be finally at last realized. So, like an indelible impression made by a signet ring, the Holy Spirit is the not outward but inward mark of God's ownership of us, his people, Jew and Gentile. He owns us and he says, I'm not going to lose. You remember what Jesus said? All the Father giveth to me, shall come to me, and he that comes to me in no wise will I cast out. He said, all the Father gives to me and shall come to me. Guaranteed. They're not, they're not going to get lost on the way. They are going to end up at the right destination because of the work of the Holy Spirit within them. The sign was the guarantee that what was promised would be fulfilled for those to whom it was promised. 
Listen to these couple of passages. This is uh, Daniel talking about the, the way a seal worked in the Old Testament. Daniel six seventeen, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So what's happening there? He seals that and says, okay, I've put my seal on it, therefore nothing can alter what I've done. What I said will happen is going to be guaranteed. And that's what God is doing in giving us, sealing us with the Holy Spirit. That what he promised will be accomplished. Also in 2 Corinthians one twenty-two, this is where Paul elsewhere says something pretty similar. He says, and who also, talking about God, put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God is guaranteeing that those that are his, that believe in his son, will be his now and his forever. And they will be with him and nothing will keep that from happening. Remember what Paul also said in Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children of God, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He's saying it's going to happen. It's absolutely, the Spirit is bearing witness to that inwardly that we are the children of God. And then Paul goes on. We're owned by our Lord and we're under protection until the day of redemption. You remember what he said in Ephesians later? We'll get to this much further down the line in this uh, series. But in Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And here's the reason. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Same language. Sealed. Guaranteed. We're going to be there. When the party starts, when everything new begins in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's the Spirit's work in you that testifies to that. I don't know about you, but I remember very vividly that when I became a Christian, when I prayed driving over the bridge that fateful night, after being totally confused about what in the world that these Christians were talking about, I didn't know, I didn't understand the gospel, but I'd finally been at enough things and heard them say things to me and tell me that it clicked. I finally understood. Ah, I don't have to do anything to get to God. He's already done it all in Jesus. I just have to receive and believe in him. And as I prayed that, that my own prayer to God saying to the words to something of that effect, God, you know, forgive me because of what Jesus did and come into my life and change me. Make me yours. Before I got to the other side of that bridge, I knew that I was a child of God and I knew I would be with him forever. I would have that inheritance guaranteed. 
Where was that coming from? That was the Holy Spirit testifying, sealing, guaranteeing what the gospel had promised. And that's why I knew then and I know now. Oh yes, I still have my doubts. I still wake up beginning some mornings, as I've told you, wondering who am I? Am I even, even could I possibly be one of God's children? But that doesn't last long. The continual witness of the Holy Spirit. That's what keeps us keeping on and keeps us through. Those that were not of us, Paul said, Peter said, they left. Or John said, they left. They got out. God's people stay. Oh, they may fall. They may falter, but they stay. And the Spirit is continually bearing witness with them that they are children of God. That is an incredible assurance. What an amazing assurance that is. Now, along with his seal, the Holy Spirit also serves, as I said, as a guarantee of the inheritance. Today, we call it earnest money. You know that expression, right? It's a down payment. Literally, that's what Paul is saying. God has put down earnest money. Basically, he's given you a taste of the real thing. But not the whole thing. Not all of it yet. But it's real. What you were given in that deposit, that down payment of the Holy Spirit is testifying that the other is surely become, is going to come. Because it's in essence the same. It's just more of it in the end. It's just more of the final. To put it another way, it's a foretaste of the glory of the age to come. That's what we say, theologians talk about the already and the not yet. The now and the not yet. Here it is, the already real now deposit down payment of the presence of the Holy Spirit testifying that we are the sons and daughters of God and we will indeed realize the inheritance. Yet, we're not there. It's just a deposit. There's more to come. There's the fullness to come in. And then we will truly realize all that God has done for us. A past, a present, a future assurance that can keep you going through whatever may come your way. Hold fast to his promises. This is a wonderful assurance of salvation and it's for anyone who believes the gospel. And trust in Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. Our glorious future couldn't be more assured and it couldn't be more secure. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? It's, it's almost too good to be true. But it is God's word and promise. Do you recall these words? Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Just now, it's a foretaste. But one day, it will be our reality. Amen?
Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for the foretaste. We thank you for the promise that's going to bring the fullness and the finality. Father, I thank you that you're not going to let us go. We didn't get ourselves into the relationship with you through your son. You did that. It is your your choosing, your redeeming, your empowering us with your spirit. Father, the glory belongs to you. Paul couldn't get around it. He said it in verse 12. He said it in verse 14. The praise and the glory is yours. Father, we ask that our lives will be a doxology. Lord, that we'll be ever praising you, getting lost in wonder, love, and praise for your amazing grace and goodness to us in Jesus. Father, now will you feed us spiritually as we think on and remember in these elements of the Lord's Supper what you have done for us and will do for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.